This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Before we get into today's episode, we'd like to acknowledge and pay respects to the Wondry people of the Kulin Nation who are the traditional owners of this land. We pay our deepest respects to the elders, past and present, and to the next generation who we hope to create a different future for. The best career advice that you are not getting is to invest. Hello and welcome to Your Ingwood Company, a podcast that makes investing accessible for everyone. I am Maddie Guest and as always, I'm in some very good company with my co-host, Sophie Dicker. Hello, Maddie, Madeline, Maddie Lynn. (laughs) Maddie Lynn. Okay. Maddie Lynn. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm very good. We're back in the business for another episode and this one's exciting because it was actually requested by all of you guys that follow us on Instagram. Yes. So each week we have been building up an investment thesis for companies that we love and we want to know whether they are a good investment. And as we were getting to the end of this series, we really wanted to reach out to you, our community, to find out what you wanted to learn more about. And you voted, I was going to say for Spotify, but it's Shopify. (laughs) I feel like we might be doing that quite a lot this episode. (laughs) So number one of building up an investment thesis is pick the opportunity. So how did we how did we pick this opportunity, Mads? <laughs> well, our audience did. They wanted to know more about this company. I think it is one that has kind of become on my radar a little bit more over the last couple of years. It's a funny one. It's not a business that you interact with on the day-to-day because it's actually sort of powering a lot of the stuff. It's kind of doing the background work for a lot of the websites that we would interact with day-to-day, but you wouldn't necessarily know our Shopify. Yeah, and I thought... I reckon there's a couple of reasons people want to know about this company. One, you're a small business owner and Mm. maybe you're using it. So you're like, oh, I'm using the product and I know it. Two, you bought it at the high in COVID (laughs) because it went the stock price. If you Google it, it went up a lot. And you're wondering, should I hold on to this bad boy? Or three, you haven't bought it yet, but you've seen that there's a dip and you're like, is now a good time to get in? I like it. So let's get into step number two, which is to build the story. We want to understand the history of this company to know where it's come from, who are the leaders involved, and then that will, I guess, sort of help us to build or form a view as to the future. So do you want me to take a historian? Please, take it away. (laughs) And don't sound so exasperated by it, please. I think it's because out of our two, I I was going to say personalities, personalities isn't the right word. I think you're just better at the, like, the reading stuff, you know, the historian stuff. I think you're really good at it. Oh, that's so nice. (laughs) (laughs) You're welcome. Needed that confidence first. (laughs) You got this. Let's go. Okay. So like always, it's a bit of a fun story. So Shopify started back in 2004 when the two co-founders, Tobias Luchte. Yeah. We'll go with that. Yeah. Is that... I don't want to screw up the name. He's German and moved to Canada quite young. I think he was in Ottawa. Ottawa. Ottawa, Canada. (laughs) I love the accent. (laughs) But the co-founders, Tobias and then also Scott Lake. And in 2004, they were 
building a like snowboarding company. They wanted to sell like premium snowboarding products because I think in their spare time in Canada, what do you do? You go to Whistler. Yeah. And you snowboard. (laughs) Yeah. It was snowboard skiing. Living the good life. And I mean, back origin wise, Tobias was, or Toby was a software developer. So when they were building up this website, they realized that it was really difficult and they thought, like surely we can build our own like program that will build up a website compared to using clunky products. Yeah, and the website that they built was really ahead of its time. They wanted to make sure that there was really a story behind the snowboards that they were creating and they did stuff like they would take the snowboard out for a day and document, you know, where they went with it and then sort of put that online. And so when you were buying a product – you weren't just buying, you know, any snowboard off a random website. You were really sort of buying into the whole story of what they were creating. Mm. And because of that, the website did really well. So they, I think it was called Snow Devil. Yes. Their website was called Snow Devil and they built it up. So this was 2004. And then Toby is kind of like set the scene. He's kind of a part of like these software communities. People know him. He builds code. And so he was kind of sharing the website programming to other people as they launched in 2006 as Shopify? Well, I think I heard that when they sort of made that decision, it was either, so the snowboard business was going really well Mm. and it was either, okay, we're going to do skateboards or software. And because they had had such traction with the actual website that they'd built, let alone the snowboards themselves, they thought, okay, let's go down the software route. Yeah, and I think they did that because from the beginning, they were kind of the engineering background. They saw that there was going to be a lot of value. I mean, if they had the experience of building a website and it was really hard, there was obviously room in the market. I think there was so much room in the market that there wasn't another competitor, mm. you know, so they were like the number one. So they went down the software route. So it kind of takes us to around like two years later, 2008, which is like the backdrop of the GFC, yes. global financial crisis for any anyone that's not across it I guess like big doom and gloom people are losing their jobs and that really kind of helped Spotify's oh my god I keep saying Spotify Shopify's Shopify's growth yeah because people were losing jobs and I guess you kind of move into the more gig economy and building up businesses of your own when you don't have a job to fall back on so I want to touch on a couple of things that happened in 2008 the first one was that Toby's co-founder Scott who was also the CEO of Shopify decided to leave Mm. you know they'd been working on this business for quite a few years now and he's I think sort of had a bit of startup fever maybe wanted to go and work in another startup so he leaves and Toby is he's a data guy you know he's a coding guy and so for him to have to step into that CEO role it was one that he did not want and in 2008 he went to Silicon Valley and was trying to get funding And it's funny, I was drawing some parallels between our Tesla episode as well. Like Elon Musk was in Silicon Valley in 2008 trying to raise money. Mm. Shopify was the same. And I just thought it was so interesting how in a time in the economy that was so difficult and so dark, I think there are like a lot of really incredible companies that came out of that era. I guess the other parallel I want to draw is you said that Shopify did really well in 2008 because there are people out of a jobs and shifting towards that gig economy and it's such a similar experience to COVID. Yeah. And we're going to get to that when we get to sort of later down the track, but you know, COVID was also an amazing time for Shopify. So it's interesting how these sort of macroeconomic trends which otherwise would be quite negative things are actually helping this business. So Maddie's just jumped the history, she's spoken about the moat and should we just get to the ending? <laughs> 
Sorry, back to the historian. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny you mentioned Tesla because in 2008, Shopify got their biggest customer yet, which was Tesla. Tesla, such a good story. And still a customer today, right? Still a customer today. Crazy. And they were selling their first car, the Roadster, the luxury EV on Shopify. So mm. it was kind of a really big time for them. The second big thing was happening around 2009, which is when they launched their app store. I got so confused when I was researching for this because I was like, wait, they launched in the Apple app store? Like, yeah. is that like what happened? But no, Shopify launched its own app store because the founders were saying if you're building something and you're building apps you want to be able to kind of own and control what you're doing rather than giving it away to a third party merchant like say apple Mm. and so they saw a lot of value in building something themselves that customers would have to rely on them rather than having to rely on apple so does that app store still exist today the app store is probably one of its most compelling features right so in the early days in 2009 just to give some context of what we mean by a shopify app store you could set up your business with you know you set up your website or whatever with shopify but then you could also use the app store to use an inventory manager and someone that organizes the payment systems or an app that organizes the payment systems and all those back-end functions that actually help you start up a company. And I mean, we'll get into this a little bit more when we start talking about Moat, but those, I guess, plugins that enabled Shopify to control so much of the experience of, you know, starting and running a business are a massive benefit and a massive, I guess, bull case for Shopify. Yeah. And one thing that they did, which was incredibly, incredibly smart, is that they built something called an API. This is one of those acronyms that I hear all the time and I have no idea what it means. So please take it away. We were actually, I remember we were in like a room, I don't know, the other week with some people and someone had said API and we were like, chatting chatting chat, and you're like guys what's an api <laughs> and we're all i think we all said like the term and you're like i still don't get it yeah, you can't just define so it explain <laughs> api is pretty much just a communication interface for software which sounds like even more jargon i was gonna say and so <laughs> but it can pieces together one piece of software with another so think like your uber account connects mm. to your payment card or your banking system Okay, that is the API, that connection? The connection. So your booking.com connects to the software in backend systems of a hotel and that's the API it connects. So if you you think about like your phone and needing to charge your phone, the socket is one part of the software and the phone's one part of the software and the charging cord and the charger, plugging in the charger is the API. Okay, and so when we say Shopify built the API. Yeah. Is that just like a software? So what it meant for them is third-party merchants. So say you built a payment system platform, an app. You built it, Maddie Guest. She has one. It means that you could have used Shopify's API to plug it into their system so that you open yourself up to a whole bunch of new customers. So Sophie comes along, opens a store on Shopify. She needs a payment system. She can use the Shopify API to use your payment system. Ah, yeah. So, Wait, just, so I built a payments company. Yeah. So like it opened up to third party merchants because I mean, Shopify can't just build all these payment services and yeah. everything else. Like things change so rapidly. So it just opened up the market a lot for people to access more tools. So to put a very real example on it, Stripe, which is a payment system. Mm via Shopify's API was able to integrate into Shopify. So now anyone who uses Shopify to build a website and build a business is able to use Stripe payment system. And it's because 
me, the founder of Stripe, I wish, <laughs> gets to just use this API, this plugin to yeah. become available to Shopify. Yeah. It's kind of like if there wasn't an API available, it would have to be all Shopify apps that they've built and own themselves. Okay. Yeah. So I think it changed the industry because it just completely now dominates with market share, you know, having that special API. One of the features that you talked about before was inventory tracking. Yes. And that is one of the things that became super important in around, it must have been 2010, when Shopify went into bricks and mortar. Mm. Can you tell us a bit more about that? This was like the third transformational thing for Shopify. They developed a POS system, which is point of sale, which revolutionized Shopify as a business because it was no longer just e-commerce online. It meant that stores like brick and mortar stores could actually use Shopify services as well for tracking inventory that was in store, but also online, being able to integrate payment services into the store. And it just meant that it was no longer like a website builder. It was literally taking over the retail game. Yeah. And I guess if we take a step back, I imagine there would be so many businesses that small businesses that started and grew on Shopify and were probably reaching that point where maybe they wanted to take the next step and open a store. Yeah. And so to be able to then do that and still use Shopify and all the existing technology it had makes so much sense. Yeah. But then on the flip side, it also opens up Shopify to a whole new area of the market that weren't yet necessarily really online or online in a big way but were then able to sort of take their bricks and mortar stores and go into that e-commerce world. And keep that thought in mind for like thinking about a moat because it's very sticky. It's very sticky with customers. Love it. (laughs) So I'll just quickly run through the rest of the the history quickly because, I mean, from that 2010 point onwards, they were just growing. In 2015, they IPO'd on the Canadian Toronto Stock Exchange. And also the US as well, I think, right? The NYS, the New York Stock Exchange. (laughs) Do you know why people list on both? I think it's an access thing. Yeah, to capital, more investors. Yeah. I get that. So like... If something was on the ASX, I'm more likely to probably buy it because it's a bit easier or on the NASDAQ or something. Yeah. yeah. So, for example, I know when uh, Block acquired Afterpay, they listed on over in the US but also in Australia because Afterpay was such a known name locally. So, yeah. it was like a good opportunity to get access to Australian investors in the local markets. Yeah, it makes sense. So, they IPO'd and from there they just – kind of went from leap to leap. You know, they were releasing incredible apps. They were getting third-party merchants. They were making deals with a lot of social media companies. One of their foundational things that they did was with Snapchat. They had a deal that businesses could put like a little QR code or whatever and it goes straight to your Shopify site, which, Mm. you know, in in those times it's kind of revolutionary. They were acquiring companies. They became integrated with Amazon so people could plug in their Shopify store into Amazon, which just opened them to so many new markets. Just leap to leap into COVID, which obviously we talked about the GFC, people starting businesses online. The same thing happened in even more of a crazy extent during the COVID period. And They just experienced incredible, incredible sales. People were jumping on board. So, which brings us today, what are the sort of high level things that we need to know about where Shopify is at right now? So Shopify is in more than 175 countries. Wow. As you said before, like you don't realize you're interacting with Shopify, but pretty much anything you're buying online is probably got a Shopify (laughs) store behind it. It has 10,000 plus apps in the app store, which is huge. 
and over 2 million merchants using the site. And last year, it posted revenue of $5.6 billion. So context, it's a big company. I was reading a stat when we were researching for this episode, and it was something along the lines of 500 plus million people have interacted with Shopify before having bought from a store. They probably didn't even realize that they were interacting with Shopify. And I guess to put a bit of context on it, that's like two and a bit times the adult population in America. So that is a huge number of people. Yeah, I can imagine like if you're buying a Tesla online, you're not like amusing Shopify. Exactly. Like I'm thinking small business owner. (laughs) Anyway. So that is sort of the history and how we get to Shopify as we know it today. Very well done, Soph. Thank you. (laughs) Let's go to step number three now, which is who are the competitors of this business? Who are the people that could potentially, you know, take business market share away from Shopify? Did I say people? Yeah, I meant companies. (laughs) (laughs) One thing I wanted to start the competitors with, which is a little bit fun, a little bit different. When I was researching this, I was like, there's so many tech companies that kind of like work in this space or whatever else. And one tool I found really useful was ChatGPT. Mm. I did like a competitor analysis, like just Google of competitor analysis. And I just put it into ChatGPT and I was like, summarize. And it kind of picked out what was the real main competition. Love it. So when you're doing, Handy. Yeah, when you're doing your own research, like use productive tools like ChatGPT. It yeah. really helps. And then maybe just verify the information you get, which I'm sure you would have done. <laughs> 100%. But I guess to set the scene, there's like some big players that kind of work in the space. So you've got like Shopify, obviously. You've got Amazon because they sell, like you can sell products. So it's a storefront. But then you've got other players that work more specifically in the space like Magento, Wix and Squarespace. Okay, so Magento and Wix I have never heard of. Yeah. Can you give us a quick rundown let's start with magento of what actually is that business so magento does what shopify does it builds websites it has all those creator tools behind the background that will help you run a business but to differentiate from shopify they are really targeted towards like big big businesses think like procter and gamble like one, one of the biggest companies in the world they would use Magento like a service. They'd go to them and be like, we need your help building a website and running everything. It's a lot more expensive, but that is their target demographic. Okay. So it's not your little, I mean, you can, I think you can still set up a business with it as like a founder, but it's like expensive and a bit more clunky and like not as seamless as the Shopify, like drag and drop your image and like, there's your website, you know? Gotcha. If you want to invest in them, they're actually a owned by adobe oh yeah i can imagine that quite good synergies there actually yeah it opens them to like a much bigger suite of tools and you know because adobe's like i mean i don't really understand adobe i'm not in like design or anything me neither but all of my friends who are in design love it yeah okay which feels like a good sign and i hate canva <laughs> yeah exactly canva's canva's like the shopify in this situation yeah. <laughs> for startups <laughs> But yeah, I guess then on the other side, we have like the Wix and the Squarespace. You can invest in both. They're both listed on stock exchanges, but they're on the more like smaller founder side. So I'm thinking like my little sister, shout out to Emma, her little brand. I don't know if no, she runs it anymore. You shouldn't, don't say little brand. Do you know what? Sorry, yeah, this you're right. Is, I'm going to have a quick gripe here. Nothing annoys me more than when people go, oh, how's the little business going? How's the little podcast? That I'm is like, so true. So condescending. Okay. When <laughs> we I are s- not little. <laughs> when I say little, 
it's because she's my little sister. So I'm like, everything's fair. little with her. Okay, fair. Even though she's taller than me. But yeah. like, she's my little baby. And she has a great big brand yeah. called Emma. <laughs> well, I also don't know if she runs it anymore, but check it out anyway. <laughs> um, but no, I was just going to say they're, they're more website developers. Like they have a, like a suite of tools that might help you with payments and inventory. When we talk about Shopify, they have 10,000 plus apps to build a business. These are like, yeah, this is where you kind of set up your website. Okay. So then comes Amazon. Yes. And I want to set this up by kind of trying to distinguish between the two. Amazon, in my mind, is very much an aggregator. So what I mean by that is Amazon, when you use them, everything is controlled by Amazon and your brand is like beneath Amazon. So even if you're selling, like when was the last time you bought something off Amazon? Like last week. And do you know who you bought it from? No, no, you bought it like on in your mind, you bought it on Amazon, right? But that's actually a small business potentially or a seller on the other side. But when you're using Amazon, you don't know that. Shopify, on the other hand, is very much for the creator. Mm. They've kind of created, they refer to themselves as a platform. And then merchants have the relationship with the customer themselves. Yeah. And I think that kind of comes into like a branding perspective quite well. So When you're comparing Amazon and Shopify, you're thinking about it as a storefront. Like that's what you're really comparing. They're both storefronts. The storefront for Shopify really seems to be like grasping that social media type business. You know, when you're building a brand, like you can build your brand through Shopify, but you can't do that through Amazon. You are Amazon. Yeah, I guess it's for people who already have and want to have that real relationship with their buyers and with their customers. Whereas with Amazon, you don't get that kind of benefit because like you said, you're just sending people to Amazon. Yeah, there was an interview that um, Tobias or Toby, the CEO said, and he was like, pretty much like anything that you can buy with a barcode, you can buy through Amazon, but anything that you can't buy with a barcode, you can buy through Shopify. So like there's a lot of things as well moving into like the next argument. Like you can't buy services off Amazon, but you can buy services with a Shopify website. True. So it kind of is a different almost demographic, but I think the reason we're comparing them is because The others don't necessarily compete on size. Like if you're looking at size of a business like Shopify and Amazon sit in those big tech businesses. It's also a funny one because when we're thinking about competition, gosh, normally if there was a business whose biggest competitor was Amazon, I'd just be dismissing it straight away. So true. There's no way that, you know, this business can take on Amazon. But Shopify really are just catering to a different segment of the market and a different merchant who really wants a relationship with their customer. So it sounds like we're kind of talking up Shopify a lot, which we love. I'm going to give you a bear case, which is my considerations around Amazon. Amazon is so big and powerful and has so much money and control over so many markets. I see a world where they want to compete in offering or acquiring a business that already does services that Shopify do and building out a back-end Amazon storefront website development e-commerce platform where people can build their own brands, but instead they pay Amazon. Yeah, I completely agree. They don't do it now, but I think when you're thinking about it, like Amazon's a behemoth and I think they could do whatever they wanted if they really saw value in the market. Yeah, they have the scale to be able to do that 100%. I guess to summarize the competitive landscape, we've got Wix, we've got Squarespace and we've got Magento who are all sort of in that space doing slightly different things with different offerings, different target markets that they're going after. 
And then you've got Amazon who offers the same storefront service, but in a very different way of going about it. You know, Amazon owns the experience. They are the touch points, whereas Shopify is very much the picks and shovels. They offer the platform for you to build your business on. I want to get into some of the moats, why Shopify has some competitive advantages. But before we do so, let's take a break for our sponsors. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. So step number four of building up an investment thesis is to build the moat. Understand what is it that stops Shopify's competitors from taking market share from becoming the number one player. The first one I looked at was leadership because I think in building up the history, you read a lot about Toby being a founder and a CEO And one thing I found really interesting about him is like obviously he has a very strong engineering background. There was like a little story about when he was younger, he was actually taken out of high school to be a part of a revolutionary apprenticeship programming program at like the age of 16 in Germany. So he's got this like software background, engineering background, and I think a lot of his decisions that he makes are very structured and considered because of that. Mm. So I think it's a real advantage to have a leader in a position that – I mean, I don't know what it's like to work in the company, but I'm going to say rational. Yeah. Well, the other thing that he has been able to do because his experience is so unique and because he has such a strong background in coding and in programming, he's been able to attract really good talent because people trust him who are in that space to go and work for him because they know how talented he is. One of the things that I loved reading about was when they were leaving the idea sort of of Snow Devil behind and building up what became Shopify, he was blogging his experience of what he was building and it gained quite a lot of traction because people who were in that programming and developing space were watching what he was doing. And because it was so revolutionary, they got a lot of signups right off the start because Mm. people were really interested in, I guess, what he was able to build using his skills. Yeah, and I I hope that he's like building up the next management layer. I mean, I think last year they lost a lot of senior executives because there was a bit of a riff within the company. But, you know, you'd hope because he's so connected to the company, you'd hope that he's building up a management team that are ready to take over because I can imagine if and when he leaves, I mean, he has to leave at some point, Mm. like it could 
potentially be a downfall to investing in a stock in the stock yeah i remember reading when in 08 he was trying to replace his co-founder as ceo and he didn't want to do it he wanted someone else to do it like we touched on Mm. and the vc investor who had just put money into the company at the time said toby no one is ever going to love this company as much as you do yeah and i think even when his co-founder left it was kind of apparent between the two of them that because he had literally built it himself he was the one that was like super invested and in it. Yeah. And so you're right. When a company scales to this size, it's a massive benefit that it's still founder led, but it does create this question around succession planning and who is going to be best primed to take over the company and are they going to do a good enough job? The second part of the moat, I think, is like the innovation that which comes off the back of this story about the founder is the innovation and AI because he's so well-versed in this software world. I think he's very well-placed to adopt AI and new technologies within the business. Yeah, I mean, it's something that you and I are not obviously that across or experienced in, but as far as it goes in when we think about trusting leaders and yeah. CEOs to be <laughs> keeping up with the latest trends, I would say I probably would trust Toby to be on top of that. Probably. <laughs> well, he just actually launched something called the Sidekick and it's meant to be like an AI chatbot that helps you with anything in like building up your business. Cool. And you'll love this when I tell you this, but um, I was listening to an All In episode maybe like a week ago or two weeks ago and All In's a podcast that Mads and I both love and they were talking talking about this sidekick oh my god and so I'm like if they're talking about it it must be amazing (laughs) (laughs) love it but um the sidekick pretty much Toby did a demonstration of it and it was like why have my snowboard sales not been good over the past three months and like it fully brought up weather forecasts not enough snow sales volumes according to weather wow and then he just typed in like okay so can you apply a 10% discount across all products and it just did it. Whoa. Like as a business owner, and I've never had a product business, but I can imagine there's so many decisions and thinking and strategy that goes into it. And then having something like that, just take that all off your plate. That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. So if you touched on earlier, let's talk about in the moat, the sticky business model. Yes. What do you want to cover off here? Sticky. Such a bad word. I don't like the word sticky. Sticky. Yeah, it's a bit icky. (laughs) Sticky is icky. Okay, so sticky business model is very much that once you have a customer in the door, they stay there. They stick. They stick. (laughs) (laughs) And the reason why they have such a sticky business model is because like – Say it one more time. Sorry. Just a good business – let's just call it a good business model. Yeah, customer retention. (laughs) Exactly. Is if you build up a website – so we've got Maddie's payment service that she's started. She's built it up. It's a small business and she's paying for their, you know, first layer of subscription, so 29 bucks a month or whatever it is. But then Maddie's business starts to grow and so she wants more services from Shopify that can help her grow. So she pays for those apps. And then Maddie starts making a million dollars, $5 million, $10 million a year. So she upgrades her Shopify to premium services that offer a range of networking and blah, blah, blah and whatever else. And you're paying $2,000 a month, which sounds like a lot of money, but it's not when you're making so much money. Yeah, and that is because the value that those merchants are getting from the services, the value that I am getting from all of those additional sort of Shopify apps that I can use 
is greater than the margin that I am having to pay to Spotify. So yes, I'm Shopify. Shopify. (laughs) Yes, I'm having to pay more and more to Shopify, but that's because my business is growing at a rate that is faster and bigger than what I'm having to pay for them. It's called bundle economics. Mm. And it's this idea essentially that you can sell two or more goods together as a package. So when we think about Microsoft, they sell Microsoft Office. And when you buy Office, you get PowerPoint, Word, Mm. Excel, all of the OneNote, all of those different things. Whereas if you were to buy each of those apps individually, you would pay more. They offer you a discount, which attracts you to buy Office. And then you have all of those, that whole product suite as opposed to each of the individual apps. It's so funny that you mentioned the Office suite because I remember when I like finished school or finished oh uni gosh. or whatever. And, and you actually you, had to pay for it. And you're, and you're like, like wait, I thought Word was just on the computer. Like I, I was know. so confused. And every year when I pay a bloody annual Microsoft Office subscription, I'm like, do I really need this? Because then you kind of do. You because need it's it. Like, you are literally just so reliant. Like how would you not? How would you do a PowerPoint? How would you do Excel? I don't get it. I mean, I'm not making PowerPoints in my spare time that regularly. (laughs) Are there any other advantages that you think that Shopify has? Yes. I want to touch very quickly on this idea of social commerce. And what that is, is if you think about, we touched on earlier that Shopify had integrated with Snapchat. Imagine now you can buy things through uh, TikTok and Instagram. So they have that thing that comes up and it's like shop now. Yeah, That is all linked to Shopify. And so Shopify have been able to build these relationships with social media brands. Mm. And, you know, we touched on a couple of weeks ago when we did the L'Oreal episode that one of the biggest competitors to a big brand like L'Oreal is the rise of brands on social media. And because social media kind of erodes the barriers to massive companies because they can grow really quickly through building a following. And so to then be able to link that into a shop and actually sell products online, I think Shopify is incredibly placed to be able to benefit from what is a massively increasing and rising trend. Well, interesting because last year in 2022, they actually won contracts with both YouTube, Massive, and Twitter, now X, (laughs) but they won both those contracts to use Shopify services through those platforms. Yeah, it's it's a growing area. So, so if that is the economic moat, that is what is stopping Shopify's competitors from taking away market share. We've sort of built up the case for Shopify, but let's now tear it down. Step number five is to be your own devil's advocate. What are the downsides or the things that we need to be aware of when thinking about whether Shopify is a good investment? One way I tend to frame thinking about you know, if this is going to be a good investment or not, is like stepping back and being like, okay, what could tear this company down? So what could tear Shopify down? And one thought I had, which I don't have any data around, so it's genuinely just a personal thought, is the world is changing very quickly. Technology is changing very quickly. I feel like we've had a lot of conversations about how people are entering the metaverse and buying things online. And, you know, we've had conversations about how you can buy Nike shoes and online virtual worlds. And I thought that maybe one thing that could pull Shopify apart is that people just kind of stop spending or building up storefronts in the real world, which sounds crazy, but like maybe that's a technological change that would bring a downfall in the next, you know, 20, 50, 100 years. Yeah, it's funny because, I mean, the reason why this is a downside for me, it's the exact same fact, but I have a slightly different take on it. Mm. It's not so much that I think Shopify wouldn't be able to do that because actually in part of me thinks that a brand like Shopify is probably one of the best placed brands to be able to go 
into the metaverse <laughs> and be the platform that you, you know, buy and sell things on. The issue for me is I have no idea if what I just said has any kind of legitimacy or truth behind it because I don't understand this world. Yeah. And so because this world is so unknown to me, I have no idea whether Shopify has the ability to actually make it in that space. I think that leads really nicely into another point around the bear case, which is talking about AI. And although we did say that they're great at adopting AI, I think AI could also really disrupt this business and maybe more their performance. Yes. Well, we know that AI has the ability to erode margins. I was chatting to a friend the other day who uses Shopify himself and he made a comment that he thinks that maybe it's plateauing at the moment in terms of like financial performance and growth. And I was like, oh, why is that? And his point of view was with the developments in AI It's eroding margins because it's making this space more accessible to Mm -hmm. more people. And he just questioned whether actually the barriers to entry are that high. Yeah. And it's a funny one because in some ways I would say yes, because of the relationships and the like contracts and deals that shop the partners that Shopify has, you know, they're partnered with ginormous brands, which gives them a lot of leverage in that space. But on the flip side, can they just all leave? Like, you know, can another company build technology and do this better or differently or cheaper? Well, I don't even know if it's technology. I think, could you just type into chat GBT, write me code that will build me a website yeah like that's what I think the eroding margins becomes because you don't need to pay anyone anymore they lose their revenue because you just ask a bot to do it for you oh god (laughs) yeah exactly that's the that's the disruptive nature of it all yeah the last point that is definitely worth touching on is whilst Shopify was profitable in 2020 and definitely 2021 They are making a pretty big loss at the moment. Yeah, they posted the last quarter, so from April to June this year, they posted a $1.6 billion loss. And last year in total, I think it was a $3.9 billion loss, 3.4, sorry, $3.4 billion loss in 2022. Which in economic headwinds that we are facing at the moment with rising interest rates, all that kind of stuff, I do think it's just better to be investing in profitable companies. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, in, for me personally, I yeah. feel more comfortable investing in companies that are actually profitable. Yeah, it's like the volatility that you don't want to sit with necessarily. Mm. But I guess also on the flip side of that, like their revenues are growing, their customer base is growing. It's just that they faced increasing costs. I think like administration costs went up like by eighty eight percent, something crazy. I don't wow. know. I don't have the facts. Why? Sorry. I was going <laughs> to say, whatever our administration costs in this business. Well like staffing I don't know development costs went up 75% and they had to lay off 10% of their global workforce which had severance payments attached to it they sold a company that they originally bought for 450 million dollars in 2019 and they sold it for guess how much a dollar (laughs) no (laughs) 12.7 million okay big loss (laughs) you know more than a 400 million dollar loss so they're kind of just going through a really rough period financially so those are some of the downsides to consider when things about investing in Shopify. But let's go to our final step number six now, which is look to the future. 
So if, if we hold up our crystal ball, what are you seeing? As we've just noted, I have no idea what's going to happen to the world. <laughs> no, but I think for the future of Shopify, I think it has incredible, incredible market share and reach. The team behind the company are so innovative. Like the sidekick thing, I just think blows my mind. And if I was ever building a product company, I would want to be a part of that. I think that's the one thing I would really have my eye on if you were thinking about investing in it today is the losses. You know, if they have losses for the next year and then the year after that, is it an economic headwind thing or is there actually something structurally not quite working in the company? Mm. Well, hopefully that helps to give you a base that you can go away and, of course, do your own research on. This has only been, I mean... I feel like we set out to do these episodes in 20 to 30 minutes and we tend to go a bit over time, but we definitely cannot cover everything in this 30 to 40 plus minute <laughs> time flux. So please go and do your own research and share with us what you think, because we would love to continue the conversation on our social media. Join us at YIGC podcast, both on Instagram and TikTok. And get on to our Facebook group, YGC Investing Podcast Discussion Group. There are two and a bit thousand people in there where we can chat and share our thoughts and continue building up this investment thesis. Otherwise, you'll hear from us next week. Catch you then. Bye. You have been listening to an Equitymates Media production. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. This podcast is intended for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general advice only and has not taken into account your personal financial circumstances, needs or objectives. Before acting on general advice, you should consider if it is relevant to your needs and read the relevant product disclosure statement. And if you're unsure, please speak to a financial professional. The hosts of this podcast and their guests may have positions in the companies mentioned. Equitymates Media operates under an Australian Financial Services Licence 540697.